Are you someone who enjoys a good glass of wine but is never sure just what to get? Indulge your inner enophile and take the guesswork out of wine by signing up for the National Review Wine Club. All of our wines are selected by a team with more than 150 years of collective experience buying, judging and making wine. We weed through the thousands of wines out there to select the very best of the best and deliver it straight to your door, all at an unbeatable price. Not only that, the Wine Club is also a great way to support our valuable conservative journalism here at National Review. A portion of every order goes to helping us grow our team and editorial impact. And there's no time better than today. Our introductory special delivers four of our hand-selected wines straight to your door, for only $29.99. So head over to nationalreviewwineclub.com today and get ready to kick back with an exquisite bottle of wine in the comfort of your own home. What's wrong with California's energy policy and why? We'll discuss this and nothing else with guest Jason Fordney as part of our special sponsored series on energy. We've been doing a number of these episodes throughout the last several weeks. Your regularly scheduled programming will return with our next episode. Our sponsor is ClearPath, an organization devoted to breakthrough energy technologies that you can find at clearpath.org. Jason, by the way, is a veteran energy journalist focused on California and emerging Western energy markets. He has more than 20 years of experience at leading global and national publishers. And you are, of course, listening to a National Review podcast. And with that, thanks for joining us, Jason. Thank you, Rich. How are you? Very good. So appreciate you coming on. So situate our listeners a little bit. How, uh, um, how did you get into uh, th- this covering this area and um, uh, how long you've been, been doing it and for whom and that sort of stuff? Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, my background, I was a traditional newspaper reporter uh, in the D.C. area, Arlington. Um, was there, I wrote for the Arlington Journal, uh, was there for 9-11, was, uh, you know, crime reporter, uh, and then moved over to energy around 2002. I started working for a trade journal that was based there, and then I've been covering energy ever since, about the past 20 years, and then um, I worked for some of the larger uh, news agencies around DC, like McGraw-Hill, Argus, these are uh, trade journals that they, they publish, uh, you know, commodity pricing indexes, but also a lot of news. And then, um, yeah, in 2017, I, I came out here to California to cover the state uh, strictly energy and have been doing that ever since and um, enjoying the kind of uh, wildlife out here in California. I, I live in Nevada City in the um, up in the Sierra foothills in a, a kind of rural area. And, um, but I'm fairly close to Sacramento where the legislature, of course, meets and uh, Folsom where the California independent system operator is. So yeah, since 2017, I've been covering strictly uh, California energy policies. So when you were down in DC, did you ever have an office in the press club? I, I didn't have an office there, but I, I hung out there a lot. Um, 
at the reliable source of a lot of fond memories. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, when I was um, a reporter for National Review covering Washington for, for a time, we had a little little cubbyhole of an office in, in the press building. And then uh, I'm yeah. a native Arlingtonian, so I remember the wow. uh, Arlington Journal. I don't, I don't know, I'm wow. not sure whether it's still publishing, but the Arlington Journal and the Fairfax Journal. Yeah. Um, and I, I worked for a um, my second job out of school was with a – uh, a local newspaper in Fairfax County. They're very kind of micro community coverage. That the Herndon and Reston connection. They're, they're, oh, they're yeah. these uh, connection newspapers out in Fairfax County. So that's funny. I, I started out at uh, Times Mirror, so I, Centerville Times was my very first journalism okay. job. Oh, yeah. Eighteen grand a year. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made ten at the, the connection <laughs> correctly, but it was, it was a little, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, before before you um all right so so energy this is uh, mm-hmm. obviously as i as i said at the top part of our energy series and we're gonna dive into california which is a a, a big a part of this debate a, a pioneer if you look at it one way or a uh a watchword for failure if you look at it a, another way um you're, you're not in the business of uh of uh, opinion, but you're in the business of reporting and, and knowing the story really well. So, sir, first of all, I, I don't write about this a lot, but you know, occasionally do. And and one one column I did a couple of years ago, it's just it's just so remarkable how much higher prices are in California. You know, gas prices, you, you name it. So, w- why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. You know, gas uh, the gasoline is. A different dynamic. There's some mystery out here as to why the prices are so much higher in California. You know, they've been holding some hearings on that. Um, on the power side, there's various reasons. Uh, you know, the way, just to briefly describe the way it works out here, uh, we have a wholesale energy market um, where power is bought and sold by utilities. It's operated by the independent system operator, Kaiso. Uh, which also operates the transmission system. Um, so you have a wholesale market and then the, the retail uh, market and the retail prices that we pay as, a, say, a customer, Pacific Gas and Electric. So there's kind of a, a, a two-tier system there. Um, when it comes to the retail bill, there's been a lot of uh, cost impacts for one uh, billions of dollars in wildfire Costs and mitigation, obviously a big issue here. Um, and that has really driven some of the extreme, you know, this is billions of dollars going into ratepayer uh, bills. And also natural gas has a big impact. The price of natural gas has a big impact on the wholesale price of electricity. And it is, is passed down. Uh, what people might not realize about the West is it's fairly sealed off. Um, you know, we have a limited pipeline system. There's always problems you know, exploding pipelines. Um, it's an ancient system. And then you don't have much transmission interconnection with over the Rockies either. So there's essentially three grids in America, the Eastern interconnection, Western interconnection. What we're seeing now, right at the moment, very low prices in the Midwest, very high prices in the far West because we don't have that that connectivity and there's people working on that. So a lot of different dynamics, I would say right now, the price of natural gas, really high. I mean, insanely high. 
which uh, is driving up costs. And there's, you know, various reasons for that, uh, global dynamics, et cetera. Um, and I can drill down on, on any of these different so, topics. So, the, so when you say the system's ancient, is, is this pipelines um, or every means of, of getting it energy further west? Yeah, well, the pipeline system is antiquated, has a lot of problems. They blow up from time to time. You know, we had the San Bruno tragedy uh, in Southern California. And then, you know, we've had lines blowing up out in the desert in recent years. And it takes a long time to get these pipelines back in service. There's even been, you know, allegations of foot dragging by some of the pipeline companies on repairs. Uh, you know, sort of market manipulation stuff. But, you know, it's the Wild West out here. I, I won't deny that. There's uh, one thing I've, I've learned is just, uh, you know, there, there is a certain amount of corruption out here. But, uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of utility power, a lot of utility hijinks, you know, Pacific Gas and Electric, the largest IOU out here is a convicted felon. Uh, all kinds of history with that that people are probably aware of. Um Politics, you know, so it's a big mix. Um, mm -hmm. There's no question that the high amount of regulation in California does increase the prices, uh, the customer bills, electricity bills also. And and what about reliability, which has been on, on people's minds a, a lot? Obviously, we had this, <clears throat> when was it? Time runs together for me. Yeah. I don't know in the fall or the summer, there, there the the uh, notices sent out. You know, don't don't plug anything in. You know, from five to seven because it's it's dusk and that's where people most use use the most electricity. But that's also when the, you know the, the sun's going down and the wind might not be blowing. And please don't plug in your electric car right. at that time, which is kind of an, an irony. Uh, yeah. So so um, is that just a function of the high degree of reliance on wind and solar? Yeah, that definitely plays a big role. Um, there's not sufficient generation capacity when the sun goes down every day. And uh, you can see on the, you know, Kaiso has charts of the grid output. You can just see the solar rising, obviously, in the mornings mm -hmm. and um, through the noon period. And then, yeah, late afternoon starts to fade out. And that's, you know, that that's when the demand tends to increase before COVID. That was when everybody went home, fired up their appliances. Right. Um, there's no doubt that the, the penetration of solar is a big factor and the retirement of uh, gas units and also coal units, not in California, but around the West. Um, California also imports a large amount of energy. Those imports are dwindling. So what's happened in the recent years is in that, period uh, that evening period when the sun goes down all the utility solar drops off there's not enough power and uh yeah you, we have a tight so, margin so is, it, so is it when the sun is literally down or is it even when the sun is getting lower in the sky it's not yeah energy sure when it's when it starts to wane or if you know yeah. there's events we lost 30 percent of our solar uh at points in the fire season because of wildfire smoke or yeah, it yeah. blots out the sun or um, you have a cloudy day. Um, it affects that. But really, if you're looking for the root cause of this, it's, it's really the policies of the state legislature that have driven the planning, the retirement of um, traditional fossil resources. We all know why they're doing that. And um, 
Yeah. The, so do they say, you know, th- this much capacity needs to be shut down or do they say this plant in particular has to go or, 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 or uh, just regulate it knowing it, it'll be hard for some people to keep up and they'll blink out, exist, out of existence or how does that work? Well, it's, it's really difficult for the gas plants to be economic in this environment. Um, so, yeah, they're not economic to run and there's been a lot of pressure at the political level and also at the regulatory level, the CPUC, the Public Utilities Commission, to retire gas units, um, to not renew them. Uh, you know, it's it's become gas last ten years become become public enemy number one with with the energy planners. They've they've bet it all on solar, and now we have these issues, and now now storage is going to be the the saving grace. Yeah. So, so again, so, so can you elaborate a little bit? So, wh- why is it hard for the gas units to? What's what's changed about the environment specifically? Well, for one, they're they're not designed to run this way. Uh, you know, to ramp up and down. Um, oh, so so because it because we're you're relying on solar during the day, and then you just need it at night. Yeah, it's it's basically. Uh, you know, we need you when we need you the rest of the time, we don't care about you. And, you know, there's, there's local pressure. Um, The the environmentalism also obviously huge in California. It's just uh, the way the economics work in the market, the gas units, you can hear from companies like Calpine, you know, we can't make any money with our gas units. So they end up retiring them. What happens is, which is very interesting, Kaiso ends up paying these these units to stay online that's called reliability must run. I've written about it extensively and they will actually say, Hey, we need you here. We're going to just pay you. And that's not the way a market's supposed to work. You know? Mm-hmm. So we have kind of upside down situations here. And um, now of course, California is building a lot of emergency backup. Uh, $5 billion has gone into this. And what are they building? They're building gas. So, mm-hmm. Retire the but, baseload units and then build temporary backup. Yeah. So the um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's little shades of of Europe having to to backtrack after getting a little over their skis and their enthusiasm. Sure. For the renewables, um, but has there been a mandate? You know, this much has to be solar, and that's just the way it is. Or how how has solar been promoted? Well, California in twenty eighteen passed SB one hundred, which is the zero emission. Uh, law by 2045 for the power grid. So yeah, the most ambitious renewables policy that you can have, you know? Um, so that's, that's wind and solar, um, nuclear, not very popular. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the policy SB 100 and it's been building to that, uh, you know, for probably since 2010, 2012, uh, and um, uh, w- w- what hope is is there to have storage for solar and wind that would be economical and reliable? Um, I mean, my understanding is it's just an enormous technological challenge. We're just not there yet. It is. The, the nice thing about solar is, I'm, I'm sorry, storage is you can put it on existing sites. It's a lot easier to site than, say, building a new power plant. 
And that's how we've seen, uh, I think we're up to four gigawatts of storage added in the past couple of years, which is remarkable. I mean, it's in a massive build out. Of course, storage doesn't generate for, power. For, for, sorry, for the ignorant Ramus is, uh, at, least, at least I'm one of them. So that's a lot, four, four gigawatts? Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. How much is it taking to turn on my lamp and how, how's that compared to four gigawatts? That, that's a tiny bit of... <laughs> a kilowatt, but you know, I guess you can look at a power plant as being maybe 500 megawatts to a gig. You know, Diablo Canyon is a 1.1 gigawatt uh, unit, so yeah, four times the capacity of Diablo Canyon. Okay, and uh, this is all lithium-ion battery storage, which has its own set of issues. Um, yeah, I've written about this basically throwing a ton of storage at the system uh, and it's starting to make a difference but uh it has its own set of issues as i said and so so uh talk a little bit about wind is that that kind of like, mm -hmm. like solar but more of an issue with intermittency or what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of it yeah wind definitely highly intermittent a lot difficult uh, a lot more difficult to plan uh, they do, you know, they do a lot of wind research and there's a big movement here to build some offshore wind, which we don't have any of that here on the West Coast yet. But the, yeah, there's no doubt wind is extremely intermittent. If you ever drive by a wind farm, you can you can see how many of the blades are turning and how many are not. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, that's the big issue with solar and wind. It's not just myself saying this, you know, the National Reliability Corporation, NERC, uh, we've been writing about this recently they'll just come out and say they're not a political organization. You know, it's the the increasing amount of intermittent generation, which is going to create a lot of challenges along with the coal plant retirements. Yeah. And then, and then nuclear, which is uh, renewable and does not have intermittency issues is not just, just not in political favor, obviously. No, it's not. Uh, you're probably familiar with Diablo Canyon. Yep. You know, it was um, never a popular facility from the beginning. It's, it's, not, it's not the most not the most charming name. It's not, not the most <laughs> name. It doesn't yeah. give you a lot of comfort necessarily. It sounds like the place where there'd be an accident. <laughs> you're right. It sounds a little devilish, I guess. But yeah, when Diablo Canyon opened, there was massive demonstrations. Um, and of course, recently the decision was quickly reversed to retire it, and now with a billion dollars coming from the federal government to keep it alive. looks like it's going to operate uh, longer than it's, than was planned. Yeah. And, and what, and what went into that? How well, significant was that decision? A lot of people think that it was the state that shut Diablo Canyon down. It was actually the owner Pacific gas and electric okay. that proposed um, shutting shutting it down and I, it was interesting i was just reading the proposal and what they said was there's not going to be a need for it um here's a quote pg e believes the continued operation of diablo canyon beyond 2025 would exacerbate exacerbate over generation so okay. i don't know what <laughs> happened there but <laughs> that you know that didn't happen so over generation obviously not a problem now but it was a concern not that long ago that there was too much capacity on the grid and they don't mm -hmm. like that. The politicians don't like that. Um, but now we're seeing, I mean, 
once they started modeling taking this thing away it was it was a real a real risk um you mentioned our our outages with september early september this past september we came extremely close to rolling blackouts um and then we did of course have the the reliability blackouts in august 2020 which were the first to happen since the energy crisis of the early 2000s Mm -hmm. and uh that brought a lot of attention to california it really opened up the state to its critics um and it's you know blackouts are the 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 worst possible outcome for for everybody and uh they're very serious and um narrowly avoided them in september just because they i mean they just affect every aspect of life and and at the very that uh they're the problems obviously but but a huge economic cost oh yeah um we don't have, we don't have those. We also have the public safety power shutoffs, which began in 2019, which they shut the system down because the risk of fire from a line falling down. And there's reasons why these lines fall down. But we built, basically have two kinds of outages. We have the intentional ones. Uh, the ones that happened in 2019 were disastrous. I mean, people died. People on medical, medical equipment can die. Uh, there was mm-hmm. traffic accidents because of the the uh, traffic signals were down. It's it's chaos, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we have two sets of of blackouts, but really the the only rolling blackouts we've had were in August 2020. They weren't that extensive, but they're very dangerous, um, and it's not what you want happening for sure. Yeah. So, so Diablo. Canyon, uh, Canyon, it's going to keep going, but any, any prospect of other big nuclear projects or the, that's just off the table? I think it's off the table. You know, you have the plant under construction in Georgia, Vogel, Vogel, Vogel it's hard to say, V-O-G-T-L-E, but that one has become kind of the poster child. It's billions of dollars over budget. Uh, to, yeah, to site and build a nuclear power plant these days is is incredibly expensive but we we have small modular nuclear which is just now coming under the grid it's kind of exciting new new field and so so the so the zero emissions thing that again is 2045 for sb 100 correct yeah um and is that um you know 2045 i'm showing my age it sounds sounds like a a long time from now it is (laughs) yeah we won't have to worry about it but is, is that a realistic a realistic goal well you know, one question I constantly ask myself is, can we run this grid on sun and wind? And mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's really proven that we can. There's studies mm-hmm. out there. I personally have my doubts. Um, so, so even even tw- two decades from now. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I think that that's one reason they set the date that far out. Right. Of course, our, our EV, our zero emission vehicle requirement is 2035, which is a lot closer Right. Um, and we can talk about that also. But um, as to whether we can get there, I don't know. They purposely set the, the, the deadline very far out, you know, and the, the idea is it will drive the technologies that are needed to do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, the fact that you, you have to do it will make people do it. And, and the, the kind of f- f- classic sort of forcing the spring attitude, right? You know, we'll... Uh, sure. Uh, if we got to do this, clever people will come up with a way, way to... D- make it happen. Yeah. The way it basically works is, you know, the legislature passed the law 
And then that goes to the Public Utilities Commission, which will start opening rulemakings um, and requiring utilities to, to procure renewables. And that's what's been happening the past few years. Uh, but it's not an easy thing. You know, we have a lot of supply chain problems happening from COVID that have really affected the solar industry. We have tariffs. There's uh, forced labor concerns. Um, right now, there's a real shortage of power out there. There's shortage of equipment and um, some of the resources that we need. So it's a, it's not an easy thing to accomplish for sure. Um, so t- talk about electric vehicles. So, you know, we, we've, we've had, uh, you know, we have Tesla, we have kind of amazing electric cars would have been hard to imagine 10 years ago. There's been, you know, more pickup than there was 10 years ago. There's still uh, big, big logistical problems, um, you know, you, you're in a, uh, rent, you're a renter in an apartment where you're going to plug, you don't have a garage to plug in your car, where you're going to plug it in, you know, th- that sort of thing. Uh, but how, uh, what, what is the electric vehicle situation in California now and, and how realistic is, is that, uh, that 2035 goal? Well, uh, there's a lot of obstacles. The, the goal is 5 million EVs by 2030. I was just writing about this. That's about 20 terawatt hours of additional demand, which is about a 10, 10% increase of the demand that we have now. That's, that's a lot. I'm just um, going to say terawatt sounds like a lot. I don't is. know what that one is either. <laughs> well, Once it's get, a gigawatt tera, it must be yeah. pretty big. <laughs> we usually talk about megawatt hours, um, but terawatt hours is, yeah, it's, and, and, it's large. And, and 5 million cars, do, do you know offhand what proportion of the fleet that would be? In California? Uh, I don't, but I was just looking about this. Um, right now, EVs are about 9% of new vehicle sales, which is about 800,000 EVs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, gosh, I don't I don't know in terms of the percentage. I think, I, I want to say we, we, we're at about 3% mm-hmm. um, EV penetration right now. Of course, the the law is not an electric electric vehicle law. It's a zero emission vehicle law, so okay. that includes hydrogen fuel cells. But electric is definitely where the the push it has been. And you're not just talking about uh, cars. You're talking about fleets, and that's a whole different ballgame. And uh, the Air, Air Resources Board is passing all kinds of requirements for commercial fleets to go zero emission, uh, but- so, so sorry, so what's the difference between cars and fleets? Well, uh, if you wanna charge a, an electric 18-wheeler, you need a yeah. massive amount of power. And I think yeah. just starting to <laughs> understand this. Uh, I've seen, you know- So fleets are like trucks or-, or yeah. um, these would be commercial fleets, um, okay. you know, delivery vehicles, 18 right. wheelers. I'm, I'm FedEx. I have all these trucks. That's my fleet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's say you're a, you know, whatever type of any type of corporation that uses a truck fleet will have these requirements. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when you have a rickety grid as it is, and I know this is something that is sort of observation on the national level, how are you going to add all this stuff when you, when you have blackouts? Right. And it's a valid question. It's, we're a long way from having the capacity that we need for all this for EVs. Yeah. So whatever the penetration is now, 3%, 5%, whatever, that, that's like 
you flip it, it's 95% still uh, conventional cars. And then, and then you're going to go to, um, right? I mean, this is the grand vision. You, you get all electric cars all operating on, on a grid that's running just on wind and solar. That's right. That's the sunny uplands of this, their vision. Right. You, yeah, you're, you're transitioning the vehicle fleet at the time, same time you're transitioning the grid to zero emission. And these are all, you know, could be viewed as noble goals. We know why they're doing this. But, uh, you know, the California way is just kind of just go for it. You know, <laughs> and um, the, the, the penalties for failure are high and the costs are high. And, you know, it's, it's a wild ride for sure. So the penalties meaning to, to everyone from getting it wrong or specific people who won't go along or? Well, there's a lot of issues. Yeah, the penalty for not having adequate generation capacity to power all these right. EVs. Yeah, blackouts. Or, yeah. yeah, blackouts, um, not being able to charge your car. You know, there was there was a lot of discussion about in September, they said don't charge your car right after they had passed an EV mandate. So yeah, it's, um, some would view it as reckless. Others would view it as visionary, but that's, I don't think there's any stopping it at this point, but, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, so how about, um, critics on the center left who, who aren't, um, conservatives who, who, who might say, look, what, even what, what you're saying about climate change is, is out of whack and this is totally unrealistic and, you know, let, let's just have good, cheap, abundant energy for now and let it go at that. But someone who sort of accepts a lot of the premises <clears throat> that progressives have in California, are there dissenters uh, like that kind of fr from within the, the Democratic House or is, is everyone, uh, and I don't mean, you know, the, the lower house of the legislature, but but metaphorically, yeah. uh, the Democratic House, are, are there people like that or is it pretty much all lockstep? Okay, you know, it's a debate over we're doing it 2040 or 2045. Well, I'd say it's pretty lockstep. You know, it's uh, it's almost a religion out here, Rich. You know, the mm -hmm. the renewables, the evangelism, the it's a very popular political position to take, and it's also about money. There's massive amounts of money <clears throat> coming into the clean energy sector, Inflation mm -hmm. Reduction Act. You know, there's billions of dollars coming. Um, for instance, hydrogen. Uh, the states out here are busy trying to put hydrogen hubs together so they can take advantage of the federal money that's coming in. But yeah, there's a, a great deal of idealism in California when it comes to energy planning. And it's also a very unilateral structure. It's obviously dominated by one political party, which calls the shots and the governor appoints, you know, the PUC, the governor appoints the board of the ISO and they're all, uh, on the same page when it comes to this and uh, very serious about it. And some very intelligent, reasonable, sophisticated people working on these problems. Mm -hmm. But anytime you have outages, you know, that's kind of the, the wall of where the public starts to raise questions for sure. Yeah. yeah. What's a hydrogen hub? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, hydrogen has become a focus um, for power generation and for transportation developing hydrogen as a, as a fuel source, uh, mainly fuel cells. You can already buy a hydrogen fuel cell car. I've, I've seen them down at the dealership here. There's amazing subsidies, but you know, you can't, for instance, where I live, you can't drive one. Um, 
you can't, mm-hmm. it's difficult to drive an EV out here too. And that's my perspective. You know, I live in the mountains. Um, so I have a little different perspective than say somebody living in downtown LA on these issues. And that's one reason I'm here. Uh, you know, I think it's important to consider, you know, there's all kinds of things happening. There's a, there's a ban on gas powered generators that's coming in. And at the same time, the grid goes out all the time. Now that that's totally bizarre. It's, it's extreme. You know, that I, uh, when I started writing about this, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, as soon, the first thing I did when I got to California was I had to buy a generator because we had a five day outage, you know, at the, uh, I had a wife and daughter, I have to take care of them. You know, I need to be able to cook food. It, it gets cold here. Um, I was astonished in this, this ban was written by a Silicon Valley legislator. They don't, you know, only 5% of California residents are rural. They're mm-hmm. completely left out of the political process and the decision-making on all this stuff. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's dominated by the coastal, uh, power centers and, um, you know, there's various reasons for it. I think it's, some of it even gets down to cult, cultural reasons. Um, political reasons. Uh, so they're kind of, you know, I, I told a friend of mine, uh, that lives out here. I said, you know, did you know, they're banning gas powered generators. And he said, what? He said, wow, they really are trying to drive the rednecks out of the hills, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's kind of the, the general perception. And, um, yeah, that there's a political aspect to this too. Yeah. So um, I, I live in part of the world where trees fall down during storms and take down power lines. But yeah. you go about it uh, more than a day without power and you're, you're, you're uh, you know, you're, you're in line to get a generator the, the next day. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not it's not much fun. Um, but this has been fun. Jason, we appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate what, what you're doing out there, uh, providing a sound and factual coverage on this really important issue and uh, wish you all the best. My pleasure, Rich. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to a special sponsored edition of The Editors. Again, your regularly scheduled programming will return with our next episode. This podcast has been produced by the incomparable Sarah Schutte, who makes us sound better than we deserve. Thanks again to Jason. Thanks to ClearPath, an organization devoted to breakthrough energy technologies that you can find at clearpath.org. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're The Editors. We'll see you next time.